Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast, on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. It's at Patreon.com/slash I Love That Movie, and if you sign up, you do get a weekly bonus episode of either stuff that I'm watching that week, or right now we're covering She-Hulk. So if you want to hear episode by episode, I have guests on there, and we cover that. We've also talked about The Mandalorian, WandaVision and so on. So we have a lot of fun on there. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons in there, Chris Balga, Jeff Whitman, Philip Barker, Michael Cross, and Josh Johnson. Um, thank you so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Um, and I've got a returning guest. I have Scott from Squadcast Media. Say hi, Scott. Hi, Lisa. It's so nice to be back. And it seems... I'm back for an episode that seems weirdly appropriate, yet weirdly, why am I the one on this episode? I don't know. It's a weird feeling. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it was probably inspired by Philip's uh, Man of Steel episode, I'm assuming. That's Absolutely. To me. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Let's keep this going. You know, I feel like there's been enough time that's passed. I'm alluding to what we're about to talk about next. You know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. Scott, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? <laughs> Well, as Lisa said, I am from Squadcast Media, which is a network of podcasts that primarily focuses on the DC Comics properties in film, television, comics, and anywhere else in the multiverse. Uh, the mother show, uh, the one that started it all, I believe actually seven years ago this week that we're recording this episode. Oh my gosh. I know, right? I didn't even That's have one intense. of my children. I didn't have two of my children when the show started. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> but uh, currently titled DC Squadcast. That's the main show where Tim and I do reviews of trailers, movies. We're also doing scene-by-scene -scene breakdowns currently of The Batman by Matt Reeves. So go check it out. And then you, you'll hear me pop up on other shows, primarily DC TV Squadcast, whenever you know a season of a particular DC TV show comes out and we're ready to talk about it. The last thing we talked about on that show was season two of Superman and Lois. I also have a really fun side gig that I'd like to promote that um, uh, over on the Film Junkie YouTube channel. We have started, we've been going for over 60 weeks now. Oh, wow. But every, every Sunday night at now nine o'clock central live, we discuss every episode of Batman, the animated series. So oh, it's, that's it, great. I, I know we're, we are. We are so we're about by the end of September, we'll, we will have wrapped up season one and possibly have already talked about Mask of the Phantasm. I'm no. sitting in front of a picture signed to me from uh, Kevin Conroy right now. <laughs> uh, 
I'm looking at I'm looking at an art print signed by Kevin Conroy right now. So there we go. I wonder if that would creep him out. <laughs> no, I doubt it. But no, that's not cool. at all. Uh, well, that's awesome, Scott. Well, that kind of brings up like what we're going to talk about today. It's semi-related. What you know, I always let my my guests pick the movie, and you've been on here several times. I love when you come on. But what did you choose today to talk about? Like I said, kind of weird that I'm the one talking about it, but yet semi-appropriate. But we're going to be talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. I like that you specified Zack Snyder's Justice League. We're not talking Justice League. It's the title of the movie. It's the title of the (laughs) movie. (laughs) We're talking 2021. You can watch it in color or black and white. Up to you. Um, But we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League. So I do want to let people at home know that I don't do really a spoiler free and spoiler filled. I mean, by now you've had time to see it anyway. Um, But if you'd rather four hours of it, (laughs) yes, all four hours, we're not going to talk for four hours. Uh, We have families (laughs) that we have to get back to, but we are going to talk a little bit about this film, some of our favorite uh, scenes and stuff like that. So here's your spoiler warning. If you need to pause and come back four hours later, here is the, a quick summary. This is like a one sentence summary of this movie. Determined to ensure that Superman's ultimate sacrifice wasn't in vain, Bruce Wayne recruits a team of metahumans to protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. Courtesy of IMDb, I felt like that was the most succinct (laughs) wrap-up, but we're going to talk about more than that. Um, I guess we should start with, Scott, tell me your journey with this movie, even though I feel like I already know because we were chatting a lot then when it was coming out, but tell me your journey. Oh God, how, how do you, this is, this is like, how do I do the 30 second elevator pitch for a five-year journey? It's crazy. (laughs) Um, Well, of course, over at my podcast, which at the time was called the Suicide Squad cast, you know, Tim and I were getting really excited. We loved BVS and, you know, you did the episode with Michael Cross and that was such a great episode back. I forget, forgot how many years you recorded that episode. Yeah, I don't know. It was several years ago now. But I mean, we're coming off, you know, the high of that for us. And then, you know, Wonder Woman dropped in 2017. And that was like, you know, our big, like like up to that point, that was like our biggest downloaded episode. So like we were, we were writing on this podcasting high. And, you know, the news that Zack Snyder had to step away from post-production because of the loss of his daughter, Autumn, and, you know, just the whole media circus around all that yeah just uh, we we were unfortunately being a little overly optimistic and not reading the tea leaves of you know the the problem was people who were trying to tell us that stuff was happening you know were the people who were taking glee and telling us that stuff was happening so then you didn't want to listen to it even though it turned it out to be right yeah. And so I, I remember going to see the original theatrical release in 2017. I snuck out of the house in the middle of the night and <laughs> to catch an to catch an 11 p.m. showing that my wife did not know about. Still doesn't know about to this day, by the way. And uh, oh my gosh, well, she's listening. <laughs> no, she doesn't listen to she doesn't listen to any podcast I do. It's okay. <laughs> and I I had one of the most physical negative reactions to a film uh, that I did that night in November of 2017. And so by that weekend, I mean, literally hashtag release the Snyder cut was being tweeted on November 17th, the day that the theatrical version 
came out. So it, it, it started really soon. And yeah. I just remember that through the podcast uh, and then through connections that I made in the fan community because of doing my podcast, I found myself basically saying, well, instead of just complaining about it, how can I actually do something about it? And then, so over the months, you know, I remember in March getting involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and doing, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, you just, and then people who were connected to the crew and Zach had reached out to us at our podcast and was sharing some insider information with us because we had built a reputation as positive and fans and that we love these movies. And so there was just this strange journey of our biggest goal, though, was trying to filter out the BS from the reality, which didn't always make us popular, you know, because sometimes we were telling fans things they didn't want to hear because it was the truth. And sometimes people don't like to hear the truth when it doesn't. Mm -hmm. When I'm so shocked that Twitter doesn't like to hear the truth. <laughs> I know, especially when it's the truth that you don't want to hear. It's like they would love us when we'd say things that they like to hear. And then they suddenly would turn on us when, you know, we said things they didn't want to hear. And it's like, well, we're just trying to be objective here yeah. with what was going on. And so, you know, it, it, we just we just tried to be that voice saying, guys, this is what we're hearing from people that we trust like yeah. we're being sent things and to this day there are things that we were sent that still are not public knowledge because we just say not our job to say what we knew because like we, things were shared with us in confidence all that did was it informed us about how to report what we were reporting and mm. so by the time the man of steel watch party happened on Vero back in 2020, when it was officially announced that Zack Snyder's Justice League was going to be coming out, I think it's I think it's fair to say now, I, I, Tim and I knew about that like days. Like we we knew it was happening. <laughs> like wow. we were like waiting. Like we had been clued in <laughs> at that point, and we were like we knew that was going to happen. So it was it was fun building up to that. There was a, like I said, there was a lot of stuff along the way. We knew before the general public knew and mm. we kept our mouth shut for months or sometimes wow. years because once again we were told things in confidence and so what it did it helped us keep the faith because we actually didn't have to have faith because we had evidence it, it's a weird it's a weird thing so um so that was i mean I, it, it's hard to take a five-year journey and try to condense it into tell us about your journey to this movie it's like you <laughs> kind of have to go back and you kind of have to have lived it to understand it and it's just weird talking to people who like you'll say things and they'll ask you questions about it. it's like you didn't know that like it, it is when you were in the middle of it for the entire mm -hmm. time it's weird to look around at people who weren't paying attention or didn't care or jumped in years later and you realize wow you guys don't know all the crap that happened okay yeah it, it's a weird it's weird from my perspective while also not trying to be you know 
a jerk about it. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm censoring myself, but you know, because people on the internet can be real jerks on one side or the other, and I'm just like, I'm just a dude who enjoys the movies. And I yeah. was, and at the time, I was trying to report the news, and so that was kind of what happened. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, you probably remember, I had like, you know, a I love Zack Snyder t-shirt. I was excited. And then, um, you know, everything happened with the movie. I went and saw it. I think my husband, Nick, was way more positive about it than I was. But I walked out of there like with a horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like, that was bad. <laughs> like, I did I not did, like I couldn't that. go to sleep that night. That's all bad. Like, like, so, and yeah. I was devastated. I mean, there was just so much hype around this time, around this universe. And, you know, I was really into the DC characters. I was, you know, cosplaying a lot, uh, Batgirl and Robin. And I was just, this was, I was really happy about this and was really sad with what I saw. Um, and there was a lot of negativity around it. I kind of defended it at first. I tried to watch it again, but I just, it, it was not what I expected. And so, you know, there was a lot of stuff coming out around that time about Joss Whedon already, you know, now we're, we're so much, we know so much more now than we did then, but we knew some bad stuff then. And I agreed with some of that, those uh, controversial statements at the time. Um, and it just seemed to get worse and worse. And <laughs> so much stuff happened in between. Twitter became almost intolerable. And, you know, I felt bad. I always stayed close friends with people that really cared about Zack Snyder. But then there was like this other sphere of people that I think honestly just enjoyed the drama of it more than they actually cared about the movie on either side. Preach. And so, Preach. And yeah, they just enjoyed like coming after people, accusing them of things. Like I'm not calling out anything specific, but I had someone that I know that it had something to do with him defending Zack Snyder. Somebody accused him of really awful things that were obviously not happening. And I'm like, it's weird that you can take something like that and like try to use it to go after people for really serious stuff over you guys not agreeing on a movie. Well, yeah. And, and there are people who I know just bounced because of the back and forth from either side, because yeah. I'm not here to, I'm not here to defend either side because both sides on anything are allowed to feel or, you know, like it, it's subjective opinion about a movie. I get it. But that also doesn't give you license to be a complete, you know, trash human. Yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. I just, I saw things getting really, really ugly online. Um, a couple times it, it's never happened to me as bad as it's happened to some people, but you know, people pulling tweets that I made, months ago to go you said this and now you're saying that don't you regret what you said several months ago and i'm like dude that's too much <laughs> like you know twitter is like we have a thought we go i'm excited for this movie or i'm not and then you see it and you go now i like it you don't want somebody to grab a tweet from a year ago and say you said you were thinking about not liking this movie and now you do like it don't you regret what you said and it's like no it was just a thought that I had that day. Um, and so because all that was happening, I backed off so much. Like I, I kind of quit engaging with it altogether. I just, and I secretly to myself, I was like, I, I would like to see this movie, but I just really didn't enjoy engaging in all that stuff. And since my show didn't center on DC necessarily, I could kind of back off from it. But I'm glad that we're like far away from all that now, it feels like. And things have, to me, things have really calmed down since then. But how is it from your perspective? 
Um, it's a perspective <laughs> of as long as you are listening or paying attention to certain people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, who don't engage in the negativity one way or the other. Uh, or, you know, don't take delight in being snarky little twits about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There are always going to be a group of people on either side of any issue that, like Alfred says in The Dark Knight, some men just like to watch the world burn. No kidding. And, I truly feels and, that way. <laughs> and I just mute those. And I just mute those jack wagons, to be honest with yeah. you, because it's like, I don't need this in my timeline. That's why, you know, finding people like you, and, you know, and I, and I saw when you backed off, but you never, and, and I could completely understand. I didn't have, I wasn't given the option to back off because of no, what because my podcast was literally about that. So, I mean, <laughs> and, and specifically about the movies centered on DC, there's no way you could avoid talking about it. Exactly. But I, but it's like you backed off and I was like, I get it, you know, totally, you know, more power to you, but you also didn't use it as an opportunity to attack other people and you know no. and that was the, and that's the difference and then it's just a great it's a great experience i mean this is the, the last five years leading up to this movie and trust me we'll start talking about the movie itself soon <laughs> but it's just weird that that what happened in the production of this movie and choices that the studio made and then fans on either end of the spectrum made it's almost like the story of the release of this movie is almost bigger than the movie itself. No, I agree. I think that's why we've spent so much time talking about it. I mean, the thing is, you know, I think a lot has changed since this even came out, which feels like a hundred years ago now. It was like a year ago. But like, I think so much has happened even with within the studio that I don't know. I think it, it adds clarification for people that maybe weren't as clued in as you were back then and are now like, okay, this is like a pattern. <laughs> and, yes. so, and they're, yes. they're seeing it for that now, you know, but on that note, I do want to share a couple of quick facts that I wrote down just three. I mean, we could do facts all day because there's a lot of them, but here's three quick facts that I wanted to talk about in regards to the movie. Uh, number one, and I feel like this is like contrary to popular belief. Um, I will say one thing about this movie, uh, in my opinion, is that there are people that avoid it because it was such a dumpster fire <laughs> of a situation. But and, and so by the time this new movie comes out and it's released, they have this perception of it that's not actually true. So according to Zack Snyder, this version that we got in 2021 contains no shots by Joss Whedon from the theatrical version of Justice League. That's number one. Yeah, uh, to to expound upon that because I I can confirm this <laughs> like pretty pretty solidly. Every every live action shot, with the exception of the nightmare sequence and the Martian Manhunter sequence in the epilogue, everything else in live action was shot during principal photography in 2016. That was actually part of my third one. Yeah, it's that um, maybe five minutes total. Um, and, and over 2000 new visual effects, but that's normal because they have to add visual effects to these movies, but still five minutes. I mean, that's like nothing, and, but I feel like it, the way that it was reported and talked about, people are like, Oh, he's adding on like two extra hours. It's like, no, this stuff was already here. Yeah. You know, this is what he intended. This is what he shot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that kind of wraps up the second one. Good on you for picking up on, on that one. But the third one that I had was, you know, another one. This is probably 
my biggest issue with the original movie compared to, well, there's a lot, but this one is one of the most egregious is that Victor Stone or Cyborg, uh, he's described as the heart of the movie by Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder, but Joss Whedon controversially cut if most, if not all of Cyborg storylines out for the theatrical version. Yes. And absolutely. so, you know, order is restored in this version. And I think, I almost feel like at the time that that happened, people wouldn't have considered it as big of a deal. But when we live post like Black Panther and like, you know, these superhero movies being more inclusive, that's even more egregious now to think about than it was when it happened. Well, and then you actually see what the material was that was there when you watch this version of the movie. And you're like, "Um, that's some of the best parts of the movie. What are you talking about? I can't wrap my mind around. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of decisions that I wasn't a fan of, but the biggest one is taking Victor out of it. I, I don't understand how you watch this movie and go, I think the first thing I need to do is remove the most important character in the movie. Like what? I don't know. It's very strange to me, but yeah, this is, this is a, this isn't really a fun fact. I just think it's an important fact, mm-hmm. but something I wanted to add on was that at the end of the movie, there is a dedication. It does say for Autumn. That mm-hmm. was uh, the daughter that Zach lost back in May of uh, March. Sorry, March of 2017. And the song that plays over the end credits, Hallelujah, which was used in Zach's previous film, Watchmen, is a newly arranged, newly recorded uh, version of the song by Alison wow. Crow, who appeared on stage in the trucker bar in Man of Steel, and oh. she and she sang that song at Autumn's funeral, and oh, so wow. that's the connection of why that song plays over the end credits of this version of the film. Interesting, I did not know that. That's a really touching tribute, though. Yeah, it's it's kind of the whole. The idea is that. Uh, it's kind of the reason this movie happened. Like you know, yeah. this, this version of the movie happened as a way to honor Autumn, even so much so that they digitally replaced a billboard in one scene of the movie with an advertisement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Not a, like I said, not a fun fact, but I think because of the journey this movie took, I think it's an important point to make for anyone who may not be aware of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm glad you shared that. Um, so, you know, we could talk specifically about Zack Snyder and the cast, but do you want to do that first or do you want to just dive into some of your favorite scenes or how, how do you want to go from here? Um, we, however you want to do it. I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like kind of like what happened with Philip on Man of Steel. I feel like as we talk about certain actors, I feel like that's going to bring up, you know, yeah, favorite scenes. Okay, let's do that then. Um, So, you know, want to start by saying, obviously, my last episode, we talked about Zack Snyder, one of his probably most famous and maybe most beloved films, Man of Steel. Um, And this one is obviously very important, too, for different reasons um, and beloved by many. But uh, as we've kind of talked about already on this episode, Zack Snyder obviously went through a lot to get to 2021. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to add to that? Um, I, I think just as, because it's, it's kind of weird, you know, I haven't talked about a superhero movie on this podcast since my very first appearance when we talked oh, about Master right. of the Phantasm and I kind of avoided talking about superhero movies. And this is also the first time I'm on here to be able to talk about a Zack Snyder movie. So, True. um, 
I would like to, you know, just for my own personal thing, I would you know, share that uh, 300 was the first Zack Snyder movie I ever saw, but I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on home video, renting it. Mm. Uh, Watchmen was actually my first time seeing a Zack Snyder movie in theaters. Okay. I think I saw 300 and Watchmen in theaters, but that wasn't because of me. That was because I have some friends that really cared about the comics. And so that's why I saw, you know, the, his movies in theaters because they were like, and, and they were very into effects and 300 obviously had really interesting effects. So they wanted to see that, but I, I liked both those films. Yeah. I, um, funny, I think I was talking, you said something that I connected with on the man of steel episode, because I saw Watchmen because the tra- the first trailer uh, ran in front of the dark Knight. Oh, and, okay. And I saw that trailer and I used to work at Barnes and Noble at the time. And I had seen the graphic novel all over the place in the graphic novel section of Barnes and Noble, but I never knew what it was. And so when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, that's what that's about. <laughs> and so that's what, <laughs> so seeing the trailer is what prompted me to read the book and then got me excited to see the movie because the movie actually came out the same year I got married. Oh, Okay. So, so that was that was a fun connection. And I kind of had the same reaction that you did where I wasn't a huge fan of the theatrical version of the film because it cuts so much out of the graphic novel. And yeah. um, I actually saw it twice in theaters, once by myself, once with my dad. And I was and I was fonder of it the second time around. But then I didn't see it again until almost a year later when they finally released the ultimate cut which is the mm. version with the animated black freighter sequence edited into the movie. And so that was the, and, and so I even waited to buy Watchmen on home video until the ultimate cut came out. Yeah. But, you know, I also kind of have to give her, you know, Zack Snyder's man of steel, Tim and I having a mutual love for that movie is what birthed our podcast. Like we were excited for BVS coming out because of man of steel. And I mean, so the podcast wouldn't exist without this director. So I, that's why there's just, there's just so much. It's like my life has taken a completely different path in some ways because of these movies. And it's just weird to think like that. Yeah. Like it's almost like, obviously these films aren't like the focus of my life or anything like that, but you know, I, I shared last week that Man of Steel is kind of what got me back into it's what got me into like the superhero world before that I really only liked I mean I liked Batman you know everyone likes Batman though so I feel like you know that's easy to say um but it really helped me go into that fandom more than I ever did and then that kind of ended up leading into the podcast in a lot of ways I mean you know I was really inspired by your show specifically and a few others and so yeah, it's weird. It's like this has a, a lot to do with what I'm doing now. So I have to give it I have to give it credit for that. Um, also, let's talk a little bit about the cast. So we've kind of oh, my gosh. Now, I feel like you mentioned any of these names and so many thoughts come to mind. Right? Oh my God, the cast is huge. Oh, it's a full movie. Oh, well, yeah. And like just so much has happened with this cast. So, of course, let's talk about Henry Cavill, because, um, again, we talked about him last week. People have a lot of emotions about him as Superman to this day. Um, and I agree, and I'm sure you agree, that 
to me, even more so, we'll talk about Ben Affleck, but even more so than Ben Affleck in my heart, Henry Cavill, you know, his portrayal of Superman just feels, you know, pretty spot on, pretty perfect. Well, I mean, I have... I have such emotional attachment to Man of Steel because it came out two months after my first son was born. So seeing that movie with my little, with my little, with my two month old little baby boy, you know, who who we, he was born the same week. He he was born the week that uh, action comics. Number one was released. So we've always kind of centered his, you know, his theme, like uh, he came home in a Superman blanket, you know, and that kind of stuff. So the fact that man of steel came out that same year and it's such a father son story. And I was newly a father and I saw the movie for the first time with my dad. And, uh, you know, we went to those Thursday night Walmart showings and I just like, I loved it. It was so John Byrne and post-crisis Superman. And that was the era of Superman that I grew up with. And Cavill just nailed it in a way that I, that I loved. And then, you know, seeing him journey from Man of Steel to BVS. And then it's always funny to talk about him as Zack Snyder's Justice League because he doesn't even show up until like two plus hours into the movie because he's dead for the first half. Yeah. And- Although I think it's interesting. People will say online, like, well, I just, we need another, you know, Man of Steel 2. We need more Henry Cavill as Superman. I'm like, keep in mind, he technically has been in three movies <laughs> as Superman. So I, to me, you know, just personally, I would love to see him be Superman again. But at the same time, I'm glad that we got three movies with him in it. Oh, and I absolutely. feel like sometimes that gets kind of lost in the shuffle. Well, I mean, the because the, when we're talking about favorite scenes, I mean, the two big things for Henry Cavill, as far as me emotionally, is the scene on the farm, you know, mm-hmm. restored to its original version. And that's all I'll say about that. You know, <laughs> no dumb but, jokes. Yeah. Oh, just there are so many things that can be said, and I'm just not going to go there. <laughs> we're going to stay but, positive. Exactly. And but just the way that scene calls back to man of steel so much because we're on the farm you see the swing outside the window there's you know the fact that he's playing with the butterfly in the cornfield where there was so many butterfly shots in Mm. the original you know man of steel yes like a metamorphosis kind of exactly and then and then hearing that zimmer score you know, playing throughout that just tugs at my heartstrings so much because I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that Zimmer score. And and it's just this beautiful moment, especially when Martha shows up in the truck and he's just there hugging his fiance, who, spoiler alert, is also the mother of his child. And we can get into that because that's in there. That's in this movie. He's having a kid. You know, uh, I didn't know that <laughs> you didn't. Oh, oh, we need to um, uh, Lois. Oh, Lois opens her her uh, her bedside table drawer and there's a pregnancy test box in the. Um, what? How did I never notice that? <laughs> it's right before he gets resurrected when she gets up to go get her coffee. Like, 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 at, you know, after she's like, okay. I'm going to get up. But it's not like ex- uh, explicitly said in the movie because it's don't not ex- uh, okay. the closest you get is at the end of the movie when, you know, Bruce and Clark are talking and they're moving back into the farmhouse, you know, the mm-hmm. whole, like, how'd you get the house back from the bank? I bought the bank. Uh, 
if you watch, Lois is carrying a bassinet into the farmhouse. And interesting. And as they're and as they're and as Bruce and Clark are walking towards the house, there's a single line that's changed back from the theatrical version, and you hear Bruce say, "Congratulations, by the way." Oh, okay. Well, I guess we should talk about Amy Adams then, <laughs> since we transitioned to that a little I bit. I love um, Amy Adams so much. I. <laughs> I mean, all the way back to when she appeared as a meteor freak in the first season of Smallville. Um, that I that was always so funny to me when she got cast in Man of Steel. It's like you were in Smallville. This was great. Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, she kind of grew on me. I think I shared that. Like, I think I prefer like maybe a different personality type for Lois Lane, but I think she did a lot with the role, and all her scenes are really good. I think her dynamic with Henry Cavill is interesting. Their age gap is interesting. Um, it's just like a different spin on the character, which I'm always I'm always open to. Yeah, I I loved how, you know, the way that she came in like a wrecking ball in Man of Steel. Like I still remember that scene in the Arctic when she's like, "Okay, are we done measuring dicks now?" You know, like <laughs> like I just I just I just loved how she just came in. And then when you watch the Ultimate Edition of BVS. Because, man, she was someone who got gutted in the theatrical version of BBS. Yeah. But her so entire... Many so many things got gutted. So many things got gutted. A lot of Superman-related stuff got gutted in the in the theatrical release yeah. of Batman and Superman. But one of the things is just watching her investigation as she unravels the Lex Luthor plot. So by the time you see her, she's not that big of a character in, she she her presence is so large in Zack Snyder's Justice League, but her yes. screen time isn't. It's kind of like Superman. His presence is felt through the entire movie. He I just agree. Isn't on I the think screen that much. Yeah, I think also because I mean Wonder Woman is also really you know loving pure character as well. But I feel like you know this whole story hinges almost on their love story in some ways, and and so that's why even when they're not in the scenes together, you're thinking about their relationship and. Yeah, hearing right. that she's pregnant at the end, that's special. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, okay. Another fun fact, this was confirmed by Zach. Um, when Lois Lane throws herself in front of Batman during the Heroes Park fight, mm-hmm. if you watch Henry Cavill's acting, because you know how he's been like x-raying and scanning everybody as he's like, yeah. he sees the baby. Oh. That's what makes him stop. He sees Lois and then he sees she's pregnant. Because you can even see, if you watch Amy Adams' performance, there's almost like a slight little nod, like she's saying yes. Like it's, oh, it, okay. It's there if you if you look if you if you're looking for it, you can see it in the performance. But yes, Zach has gone on and confirmed yes, he sees the baby. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to be on the lookout for that next time. Um, let's talk a little bit about Ben Affleck. I mean, we could do a whole episode on just him and Batman and everything that happened around that. It's just strange how much, how many like difficult outside situations have something to do with this movie and this cast, right? Yeah, but, and, and how much yeah. goes back to what went down during the the making of the 2017 version? Yes, like, yes. Yes, there's lots of stories and most, a lot of them sit around how much Ben Affleck was very unhappy during the reshoot situation and what, what that, what that did to him personally, emotionally, physically, and all of that. So it's, there's a, there's a lot there, but 
talking about Ben Affleck, I, I have had no shame in saying since BVS, Ben Affleck has been my favorite live action Batman. And it's really weird to watch this movie and to see a Batman so different than any other version of Batman because he is so hopeful. You know, mm. that that whole scene when he's getting on the flying fox and says, Faith, Alfred, Faith. And you're like, no Batman has ever operated like that. But it's cool because it's a character arc. You yeah. know, it, 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 it's devel- it, 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 it's picking up from the end of BVS when he's like, men are still good. Like, he went to a dark, terrible place in BVS, and Zack Snyder's Justice League is him coming out of that. Yeah, yeah. And and I I really enjoyed his performance. I, I thought I liked the physicality of him also. Like, I don't think we have gotten like such a, I mean, frankly, beefy Batman, <laughs> you know, but I, I like that. And then he's an older Batman, too. Um, I think all that stuff is interesting and cool and different from the other portrayals of Batman. Now, I'm going to be honest. My favorite is Pattinson, but... Oh. That's into my sensibilities, you know, that's just I but I think if you if you go based on like especially looks like who looks like a comic book character, I think Ben Affleck looks more like a comic book version of Batman than almost any of them have on screen. And also, um, if, if anyone who follows me knows how freaking unhealthy I enjoy Frank Miller's versions of Batman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can't that's even what... mention it without talking about Frank Miller. <laughs> and I mean, that's what Ben Affleck is. Like yes. he he's edgier. That, yeah. He's that old end of end of his career Batman. Mm-hmm. And you know, I so like when BVS came out and like you get the fat bat that looks like the Frank Miller costume and then you see the mech suit and you're just like yeah. So for someone like me, it's like it, it's literally catering to me. And I'm yeah, like, thank you very that. much. And and you know, by the time this movie came out, I had read some of that stuff, so I was interested. It does it's a little pain the Robin stuff is hard for me because you know, Robin's like my favorite. So especially the one that Zack Snyder said they killed, that's that's hard for me. <laughs> I and I get it, and it's not for everyone. I know it, I know it and, and I know it's a sticking point for a lot of people. But yeah, but it's just an interpretation to me. So you know, it's for an me, it's world a story, right? Yeah, it's not a get... sticking point for me. These can be interpreted so many different ways. It's fine. Whatever the director's vision is, I go with that. You know, when I watch the movie, I feel like I can put my other stuff on hold and and enjoy that. So I still liked it. Yeah. So it. So I I enjoy it. Um. There. It's funny. Is that. I, I noticed this last night as I was, was rewatching the movie. He's not even Batman until like two plus hours into this movie. He's, I mean, like he, be, he, you see him as Batman for the first time when they're about to resurrect Superman. He's literally Bruce Wayne for the first half of this movie. And yeah, that's true. It's, it's interesting. So that when he becomes, when he becomes Batman in this movie, it is so different than the Batman that we saw at BVS because he's not mm. as brutal. He's not as angry. He's a man on a mission, but he's a man on a mission because he's like, I screwed up royally. Yeah, because he's a borderline to- bad guy in BVS, which is why I think audiences had such a hard time with it. I didn't because, again, I feel like we can watch characters have arcs and we can watch them do and say things that they later regret. 
And, you know, in the, in BVS, he's like, if there's a 1% chance he's our enemy, then he is. And it's like, whoa, you know, that's not a great way of thinking, but he's a different person in this movie. And once again, if, if Warner brothers had gotten on the same page with Zach, those two were just not the studio and Zach were just not on the same page. I think they were or, just too scared of all the chances that he was taking. Again, I feel like we're in sort of a different superhero world now, you know, especially with Marvel now taking bigger swings with some of its characters. Um, I, I think they play it safe and that a lot of times when they do it, they do it with characters you either haven't heard of, or at least general audiences haven't, but because some superhero characters now have darker arcs all the time, it's almost weird to think about like he was kind of doing it first, <laughs> but people just were not open to it at that time. Well, and but also the studio didn't communicate that there was a vision. And I've had conversations where I've turned people around because all I had to tell them was this was only supposed to be five movies and it was going to yeah. end. Like the story was going to have an end point. This wasn't going to keep on going. The whole point is spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know this Ben Affleck's Batman was supposed to die by the end of this arc like the whole point was people like how can you forgive him for what he did that's the whole point he he never forgives himself to the point that he has to sacrifice himself at the end of what the arc was going to be because he realizes he's gone too far like that that was the whole vision for the story but when you don't tell people this isn't supposed to be a 20 something movie arc like marvel that just keeps on going i was just about to say i think we act like everything has to follow the template that marvel does but you don't and before that template was established movies didn't do that so like a three-parter a four-parter five-parter okay i mean why can't movies just have a contained story why do we have to think 20 years ahead every single time a movie comes out i think that's not a realistic expectation for most studios and I'm fine with that, you know, not happening. And so I like the idea because that's what Affleck signed up for was Mm -hmm. I don't, he didn't want to be playing Batman for 20 years. He wanted to play Batman for like five movies, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I feel like there's so much pressure on actors to like play those characters forever. And these roles are very physically demanding. I mean, it, I always think about how, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Craig got so much heat when he would play Bond. People were like, oh, he's always quitting. I'm like, this is a difficult role. <laughs> like, not yeah, everyone's Listen Tom to the Cruise. stories that he tells. <laughs> like, yeah. I would quit too. I mean, seriously. Yeah, like, you know, getting seriously injured and maimed every, you know, movie when you're not a young man is I'm sh- not fun. And so, you know, I, I just think that's fine for actors to want to sign on these deals that it's just a few movies and we should be able to have both things like both things can exist in the same space. And so, yeah, I I agree with you on that. And I think he did a great job and he's great at being the Batman that Zack Snyder's was trying to communicate. You know, he was trying to show that he was a good, that Batman. And I think he did a great job. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit, obviously about Gal Gadot too. Um, or I always feel like I'm not, is it Gal, it's Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot? No, no. You said it right the first time. Gal Gadot. Okay. I, I, you know, it gets in my head when people like adamantly insist on pronouncing the T and I'm like, I don't think that's right. But anyway, um, obviously I have loved her the second I saw Wonder Woman. I think like Henry Cavill and like Ben Affleck, but maybe even more so such an interesting casting choice. You know, Zack Snyder saw potential in her from being in those Fast and Furious movies that just, I mean, he was just so spot on. Uh, everything from her look. And 
honestly, just her personality, her warmness. I just really like that about this version of Wonder Woman. She's like this tough warrior, but there's just like this disarming charm that she has. Um, she is an, an amazing ambassador for this character. You just mm-hmm. watch how much my wife has like, I mean, she kind of latched on because as I, as I intimated earlier, every member of my family has a superhero. Like, Aww. like, and, and so everyone knew I was Batman. My oldest son, Liam <laughs> was, was Superman. And so my wife, Heather was like, I guess I'm Wonder Woman. <laughs> and, <laughs> but then especially after, you know, Gal Gadot showed up, you know, my biggest reaction, like, like, her entrance in BVS when she like jumps in front of Batman and stops Doomsday from killing him, you know, like that was one of those. I literally like threw my arms up in the air. Like I had a physical like touchdown. Yes. Moment in the theater. Like when that happened and when her, when her theme kicks in, it's still my wife's ringtone on my phone. Like when my wife calls, is she with you was what plays on my phone to this day. I remember people criticizing and saying like, oh, I would have preferred like a loosely lawless type casting. And I said, no, this is like fresh and different. I don't think we've seen this version of like, you know, a a tough, badass woman. Like I I like that it's different, you know, and so I I loved her right away. And then in this movie, she has that tough badassness, but while also kind of being the the din mother of the Justice League. Yeah, like, and, and and sort of regal also. Like I feel like she really comes across the princess or queen side of her comes across more. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Like the way she talks to 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 Vic, you know, when when she's like, "Hey, I get wanting to say f the world. Trust me, I've I've been <laughs> didn't there. Live through World War One and Two, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I get that. But even even one of the one of the one of the most precious scenes in this movie to me so i can i can talk a little bit about a favorite scene Mm -hmm. is her and alfred making tea i love that so much because alfred is just being the english butler who's like no 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 excuse you can see him going can i do it please will you just put the stuff down and let me make the tea and 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 you can just see that that diana's like oh aren't you cute like this is (laughs) precious just, and I shout love. out to Jeremy Irons for being the, I I think the the most uh, the cutest <laughs> Alfred. <laughs> I love his oh, Alfred. We've there has never been a bad live action Alfred. Like that's just oh, no. There is there is no such thing as a bad live action Alfred. No, Michael and, Caine, amazing. Yeah, so many great Alfreds. But oh, I like Alfred his, Goff, his version. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Michael Goff from the from the nineties movies. It's mm-hmm. just they're so good. But I just love Jeremy Irons, and he. He got so much room to shine in in BVS, but but then his humor got to shine so much more in Zack Snyder's Justice League because yeah. overall this movie is a so much lighter movie than BVS. Like it is, it, it's the it's like point. more fun, you know. More, it's more fun, more yes. action. Yeah, definitely, and and I, such a difference from this and like the the one we got previously to it. <laughs> Exactly. A lot better, yeah. But but you know, because he even has that great line that Terrier wrote when he's talking to to 
Batman about, you know, bringing back Superman and, it, and they used it in the marketing. It's like, if you can't take down the charging bull, don't wave the red cape at it. Like it's such just great delivery from Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but his interactions with Diana, because they're, they're often in the hangar so much, like those two really got to interact so much. And I feel like it really showed off some of that regalness that you were talking about with Diana because she's just, she's showing such respect to Alfred, even though Alfred's being like this little, like, you know, he's being the English butler and he's just trying to get everything just right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, should we talk about Jason Momoa? Yeah, go right ahead. I'm sure you have a few thoughts to say. I understand. I mean, <laughs> well, I I love this casting as Aquaman. It's weird to think back on. I think for a little bit there was a little bit of discourse, even after being called Drogo. You know, people were like, "Oh, he doesn't look like the Aquaman in the comics." But I think we're all in a place now where we can comfortably agree he was such a great decision, and he obviously really shines in Aquaman, but you know, getting, getting him in this movie, this was like the first time you see him. It's, I don't know. He was just so awesome. See, for me, I go back even further with Jason Momoa because I, I watched Stargate Atlantis. Okay. Yeah. I didn't watch a lot of Atlantis, but I I did know he was on that. (laughs) Yeah. So he was, he was on that show for four seasons. He was introduced in the second season of the show and it was a regular, he, he replaced a cast member from the first season. And so I had known about him since that show because I watched that show every Friday night on Sci-Fi. And so when I found out, you know, yes, he was Cal Drogo in Game of Thrones, but then he got cast in, you know, he shows up in BVS for a for a quick second. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I know you. And I, I loved seeing him shine in this version of the film because you just... It's four hours long. You just get more of everybody. Like That's true, the, yeah. I mean, when, when people talk about, you know, when that argument comes up about the solo movie versus the team-up movie, well, no. If you take your time, yes, you can do a team-up movie where you intro- you completely introduce three new characters. Yeah, and I almost think you could have released this as like a mini-series, and maybe that would have made people be like react differently to it. Now, when we're in a time of so much streaming, that's like possible. Um, I've wondered if for some, you know, more general audiences that would have worked better for them. Well, but, you know, yeah, Zack we Snyder pitched it oh, to ahead. HBO Max as a miniseries. Oh, I didn't know that. But that makes yeah. sense. I mean, it would it would be a good miniseries. And it's weird that they were like, nope, it needs to be a two hour movie. It's like, well, there's obviously too much going on for that. Like, well, you know, the, the movie, the well, I was speaking specifically about the 2021 release. Like mm-hmm. after the whole release, the Snyder Cut movement happened. The, oh, okay. you know, the original, the original cut of this movie, as famously stated back since Snyder Con, I think like 2019 was going to be like 214 minutes, 214 was oh, the magic okay, number. Okay. Uh, Cause it was hidden on the poster from the director's cut event. You like that number was like strategically inserted into the poster and, and he would sign it. He would circle it when signing certain people's posters at that event. And so that was kind of like a, a goal for the theatrical release. And even then that was going to be like the director's cut they would have released like on home video. And then it was only when this HBO max opportunity came up after release, the Snyder cut happened that he was going, Nope, I'm going to put everything back in. 
It's going to be the full four-hour version. But he pitched it when he was trying to get the green light. He pitched it as a four-part miniseries, like an HBO thing, like release a part a week. It's so basically would cool. I, w- I would have uh, liked that, to be honest. Because, I mean, one thing that keeps me from revisiting it often is that it's four hours, you know? Um, so I haven't seen this as many times as I've seen some of the other stuff. But it's also, you notice how the film is edited and structured into six parts in an epilogue. Each That's part true. lasts about 30 to 40 minutes. So mm. that there, it's even sh- episodically structured. And, and I just love how certain episodes focus on certain things. So, you know, by the time we get to part three, you know, beloved mother, beloved son, you know, that's basically the quote episode of the movie where you get a lot of the backstory of the three new characters. So starting off, you know, you get so much backstory of Jason Momoa's Aquaman because, you know, Willem Dafoe's back in the movie. He was nowhere to be yeah. found in the 2017 version. And why do you cut out Willem Dafoe? What a what a uh, terrible thing to do. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's Dafoe. But yeah. you know, but so Momoa got so much more to work with, and he wasn't played as a joke like he was in the 2017 version. Because he has moments throughout this, like the buddy relationship he gets with Barry. And, you know, th- like like the Aquaman Flash dynamic is one of my like when we talk about the fun parts of this movie, the two of them, their back and forth was fabulous. Like the whole like so, you know, Barry's putting on the hat when he's d- dressing up like the military guy. And he's like, so which one's more less preposterous hat? A definitely not a <laughs> or hat B. Can I see a again? Like like that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Or when, or when, or when Superman totally like just like sidesteps Barry during the Heroes Park fight and like slaps him on the back and causes Barry to crash into Arthur into the stairs. And there's that moment that like that punctuates the end of the scene where Barry just looks at him and goes, "I'm so sorry," and and Arthur's like, Rrr. just seeing. <laughs> but then it goes to the Batcave where you know after Silas has died and Cyborg is having a moment alone. And Barry's like, I thought you didn't care. And Arthur's like, I never said that. Like, uh, Jason Momoa just got these quiet, intense moments mm-hmm. to play. And he got it. So, but then he also got the fun moments too. So you got to see both sides of the character in this version of the film. And I think it really just highlights the character. I'm not the biggest fan of the Aquaman solo movie. It doesn't appeal to me like it appeals to others. So seeing Momoa in this version of Justice League gives me more of what I personally connect with. I liked the Aquaman movie. I thought it was fun, but I think that's about as far as it goes. I think it's just fun. Um, What about Ray Fisher? So, you know, we kind of talked about he is the heart of this movie and there's just been so much behind the scenes that's happened with him um, and some decisions with the studio and all that. Um, it's really nice getting this version of the movie where it does center so much on him and has so many cool, like visually striking scenes like the football stuff and, you know, interesting moments with his dad. And just, I don't know. I, I, again, I, I, I think of all the decisions of all the things to cut. That is truly the oddest thing to cut out of the movie is his story. Well, and then you get, you know, p- going back to part three, part three 
is such a powerful part of this movie because there's actually not a lot of action in part three. Part mm-hmm. three is a lot of story and a lot of character because when, when I talked about how the, the movie is divided up into these six parts in the epilogue and they all right. run about 30 to 40 ish minutes, like an episode of television, it, which I think is what makes this movie. You can watch a four hour movie and it doesn't feel four hours because it's paced so well. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look at each episode, there's like, there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit moving the, there's a lot of character development. There's a little bit of moving the Steppenwolf, you know, mother box story along. And there's usually like one big like set piece in every episode. It's interesting though, that in part three, the set piece, isn't this some big action sequence. It's, it, it's cyborgs first flight scene. It's him going, it, it's him listening to that recording from his father and kind of exploring the digital world. And so you get that scene when he's in the, the, the cyber world and he goes into that bank and he helps out that waitress. And uh, Tom Holkenberg, aka Junkie XL score, mm-hmm. uh, you know, becoming cyborg is what the piece is called. And it's just one of the most lyrical, beautiful pieces of music in that entire nearly four hour score. And it's amazing that the big set piece is just Cyborg helping a a waitress out who's, yeah. you know, who's getting unfairly screwed over in her life. And it's mm-hmm. and that's him being a hero. And I yeah. think that's so indicative of Ray Fisher's portrayal of Cyborg because he did talk with Chris Terrio. He had input on his character and his portrayal as a black man in this mm-hmm. movie that he he basically got to give notes to Terrio and Terrio incorporated them into the script to help shape Vic Stone. And I feel like when you watch part three, because it's called Beloved Mother, Beloved Son, and that really hits when you realize that those are the epitaphs on Eleanor and Vic's gravestones because they're both mm-hmm. buried and and that's where the name of that part comes from. And, mm-hmm. and so you want to see a masterclass of Ray Fisher acting his ass off watch part three because it's his it's his origin story and ray fisher is just delivering the entire time yeah completely agree i'm glad we got to see that um should we talk about a controversial figure in this movie uh we have to talk about ezra yes we do yeah they uh talk about kevin (laughs) they they taught they they do such a good job in this movie. Yes. As this version of Barry Allen. Th- they definitely play him. He's he is neuro he's neurodiverse. And because you can just see that his brain is just firing so much faster than he can like spit the words out. Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting take on the flash. Like that's an interesting thing to incorporate into the character. You and know, something that we haven't seen heroes grapple with or do. So it's kind of cool. Very much so. I mean, the Barry's first scene where he saves Iris from the runaway truck, which, by the way, has Gardner Fox written on the side. And that's yeah. the creator of the Justice League. You know, oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of Easter eggs in this movie. Um, I'm not but, surprised. <laughs> but that 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 musical piece, song, song of the Siren that plays as he's just so lovingly 
Um, I say he because I'm talking about Barry Allen, not about Ezra Miller. Um, no, he's I so lo- uh, lovingly, like, he's moving so fast. He knows he can't just grab her. He has to, like, you know, tap her to, like, shift, you know, her into the position so he can lay her down safely because there is some idea of how physics work. You know, if you're yeah. moving that fast and which also brings up the fact that Kiersey Clemens is restored in this film as Iris West because she was completely cut out of the 2017 version. So, yeah. uh, but it's a it's a great scene to introduce us to Ezra's version of The Flash and then to book in that with the Oscar, the Oscar cheer moment winner of, you know, at the speed of <laughs> at the speed of force as as Barry runs back in time to save the day at the end of the movie i mean it it's just so cool how his powers are depicted in this film yes aesthetically for sure and you know side note um my husband's favorite character is the flash and we really enjoyed this version of the flash and we were so looking forward to that movie hopefully we get to see that film Um, and I will tell my audience, I'm going to refrain from commenting too much on what's happening with Ezra Miller outside of this only because, and I don't know if you feel this way, whenever I read news stories about it, I feel like I don't really understand the full context of what's happening. And I think we live in a world where we want to react to stuff in real time, especially when it's sensitive or extreme. But the reality is we don't have the full picture yet. And I just feel like I should wait <laughs> to comment I, on it. I, I believe that is the that is the best course of action. I will co-sign that. Yeah, completely different. But I remember when the stuff was happening with Ray Fisher, which is you know obviously very different. Um, he was having some really big conflicts with the studio. He said that he was being discriminated against and I believed him, but I still took a while to respond only because I was only seeing snippets. And I felt like when you respond to something that's sensitive, it's better to like sit down get all the information and then respond to it. So whenever we got like the full story of what was going on with him, how he was being treated, what he was, how he was cut out from this film, that's when I was like, okay, yes. And so with Ezra Miller, I feel like, again, different situation, very different, but it's an, it's one of those things where I just don't feel comfortable chiming in yet. Cause I mean, number one, nobody likes being wrong. So obviously I don't want to be wrong and have the wrong take, but also it's a sensitive situation. And I think the wrong take could age poorly. So I'm going to wait and table that discussion for another day in this film they did a great job, and I really like their portrayal of Barry Allen. I agree. The Barry Allen in this movie is, you know, the the they are still the comic relief mm-hmm. in this movie, but so much more organic than the way they were used as comic relief in the 2017 version. Agree. And- He's more like the, you know, the way that, Tom Holland's Spider-Man in, you know, the Marvel movies is like this, like, cheerful, younger, sweeter superhero. Like, that's who the Flash is in this, you know? And there's some parallels, I think, there. Because there always are with DC and Marvel. But 
that's like who we're getting in this film. And I think that character is really appreciated in, in this movie because we got I mean, a lot of stuff going on, you know. And ever since the ever since Zach released the first footage at Comic-Con back in like 2000 and I think it was. Yes, it was summer of 2016. We got that first like teaser reel and it starts off with that you know bruce wayne throwing the batarang at him and he goes into super speed and watches the batarang you know fly by and he grabs it out of the midair and he's like yes you're the, you're the batman and you know and then <laughs> batman starts and bruce wayne starts to give him the sales pitch and he just you just watch him like he just he just can't contain himself and he goes stop right there i'm in and bruce <laughs> wayne's like uh really wow okay and, and i just love how barry goes um uh i need friends <laughs> And it's just like, wow, you just, you just like, he's just ready to like, to like jump at, you know, the, the chance to be a part of a superhero team with Batman. He's like, this yeah. is so cool. Yeah. And it establishes that they're going to end up being friends, that they're going to end up working together and have a relationship, you know, with each other by the end of the film. Exactly. And, and from all we've heard, that is going to translate into the Flash solo movie. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm again, still looking forward to it. I hope. Um, let's talk about last I think last guy we should talk about is Lex Luthor. Um, Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, I just feel like he's he's gone through so much. <laughs> because <laughs> of, you know, the way that people reacted to his Lex Luthor. But I know you and I share the same opinion. I really liked this version. I think it was interesting. I think it's timely, you know, sort of a- approaching him like, um, more like a young tech mogul sort of Facebook type person. Um, I really liked it. Uh, and I thought he did a great job and I thought he got a lot of flack for portraying this character when he did it like the way it's written. And I thought he did it well. I thought he did it really well. And I also love the fact that once again, if you would just be patient and watch all Mm -hmm. the movies, you know, and if all the movies had been made, I mean, when you get to that, you know, little stinger at the end, of the movie and he's talking to Slade Wilson, AKA Deathstroke. And I love it. How I love how Deathstroke basically comments on almost meta comments on his version of Lex Luthor from BVS. And he goes, I heard you were a few clowns short of a circus. <laughs> and and, and yeah. Lex, and he even goes, well, the good doctors at Arkham helped me work a few things out. And it's just like, it's in the it's freaking in the script yeah like, and i like that the loss of his hair is like after he goes to prison you know like that it basically changes him like this whole experience changes him and then i think when he has to face any sort of consequence that like tips him even further over the edge i think that's a neat take on lex Luthor instead of just him always being bald you know right it, it, it's like the idea that he was that young tech mogul and going through what he went through and, and, and having the whole fourth, you know, Jack Kirby's fourth world revealed to him at the end where, you know, you get Steppenwolf telling him about, you know, the mother boxes. Yeah. And, and he and has he, a much, I mean, you said everyone has a bigger role, but he has a much bigger role in this version. You know, yeah. Well, because I mean, he still has the exact same amount of screen time. Uh, well, b- except for, you know, he, he does show back up during the, what I, what I always like to call the previously on uh, opening credits, because that's that's another because <laughs> that's another fun thing about the way that this Justice League saga was structured was that mm-hmm. the beginning of the next movie retells the ending of the last movie, but from a different point of view. Right. And 
And so we get to see a different aspect of what's been referred to as the communion scene at the end of BVS Ultimate Edition. You know, mm-hmm. when he's when he's in the goo of the Genesis Chamber talking to that hologram of Steppenwolf. Because uh, right. I also want to take an opportunity right now to shout out to the voice actors who were being used in this movie because you get Kieran Hines oh. as Steppenwolf and Kieran Hines goes all the way back to like Excalibur and you know he was just nominated for Belfast and oh, just yeah. just an incredible actor that some of my favorite scenes are just watching what like Weta did you know I can't remember if it was Scanline or Weta uh, who animated those characters and like i'm watching cg completely cgi characters and i'm invested in their performance because you got you've got kieran hines line delivery and then the way that they give him a real performance like those are some puppy dog eyes going on in steppenwolf it's like he will see my worth and i'm just like oh oh you little world conqueror you just want to go home Oh, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's it's just amazing. And then I have had the I've had the blessing to have kind of created sort of an internet friendship with Ray Porter, who was the voice of Darkseid, and just getting to know him over the past couple of years, and just to hear his performance. You know, the fact that the studio wanted a big name, and Zack Snyder was like, "No, this guy, this guy does audiobooks. He can he can turn in a a vocal performance." And right. It, and it makes those two or three scenes, especially that first scene when Darkseid first appears as like the melty metal, you know, communication with Steppenwolf. And he, and he does that whole thing like, I will bathe in the glow of anti-life. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Darkseid. Because <laughs> another <laughs> character that was completely cut out of the 2017 version. Yeah. yeah the bad again. guy. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> but glad we got him in this version for sure. Um, I it's kind of funny because normally because we got started off. I I there was a fun story I wanted to share because normally you ask you you ask your guests like so when was the first time you saw this movie? And it's it's really funny for me because I have such an emotional attachment to this movie that I actually saw it a week before everybody else. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I think because we spent so much time talking about the the background before this movie, it's yeah, kind of wrapped well, up in that question, and we ended up skipping over it. I know, but it's fine because I saw it on March thirteenth, twenty twenty one, the Saturday before it was released on HBO Max on oh. Thursday. I had participated in a contest because the marketing. Uh, I forgot the name of the marketing company they hired to run the digital marketing for Zack Snyder's Justice League, but they did a tell us who your hero is, you know, based mm-hmm. on one of the members of Justice League. And so I picked Wonder Woman and talked about my wife. And Aww. I was selected as one of the third place winners, but the third place winner meant that we got sent a link to watch the movie the Saturday before it came out. And wow. so... I was there at noon on Saturday. I I had just had my second COVID shot and it was just starting to kick in. Like oh no. Like the ar- like like the arm was starting to like like hurt like the dickens. Ugh. And, and somehow 
the four hours of watching this movie like delayed the the side effects of the vaccine because I was just on this high, I was riding this high for four hours. But I will tell you that when the movie was over, that headache hit me like a freight train because all my endorphins and all my adrenaline like just left me. And I was just like, I was, <laughs> I was just done. I was spent by the end of this movie. I'm and sure. It, it was always, it was always a fun story of, wow, this, this movie delayed, delayed the vaccine <laughs> side effects. <laughs> that is too funny. Okay. I don't have a story like that. I just watched it on HBO max, but I really obviously enjoyed it when I first saw it. Yeah. I, I, I took the day off that Thursday. I took that day off. I was sick that day. You know, you know, because I invited my dad over for my dad to watch it. Oh, because, you know, we saw Man of Steel together for the first time. We saw BVS together for the first time. So I always knew this like, Dad, you're coming over and we're going to I'm taking the day off from work. Like as soon as the release date was announced in January of 2021, I put in a sick day that day. Oh, like three months sense. in advance. I was like, no, I'm going to be sick that day. <laughs> I'm not going to be well. Sorry. No. Uh, as as the joke goes, I had um, anal glaucoma. I couldn't see my ass <laughs> going into work that day. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, are there any other scenes that we haven't uh, touched on yet? Uh, there, there are a few I'd like to talk about. Oh, I know that we've been going for a while, but it's still like we're still being quite reasonable for a four hour movie. I have we to. We are. Admit. We are. I agree. Uh. But each part of the movie just has a banger of a scene usually that I just absolutely love. But the Steppenwolf fight against the Amazons on Themyscira mm. is just spectacular. The, the Amazons just get to shine when you see the entire unedited down sequence especially right. with this version this character model uh, of steppenwolf as has been lovingly referred to as that that uh, spiky mother effer you know it's, <laughs> it's i just love watching the amazons play keep away mm -hmm. with with the with the mother box and i think it's just an incredible incredibly choreographed action sequence. Yeah, I think it is definitely one of the most exciting scenes in the movie. And I, I think, yeah, not having all that in the other cut really did it a disservice. Well, and, 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 you know, it's just, you know, his, 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 this original character model, I say original because this was, you know, this is the version you see in BVS. Right. Um, it's just so intimidating. And then the mm -hmm. fact that the Amazons are like, oh, no, USOB, you ain't taking this box. <laughs> like, like, like when, when, when Hippolyta says, Amazons, show him your fear. And they're like, we have no fear. I'm just like, yeah, kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely agree. And it's just so just so gorgeous like it, it's it's almost a way of watching these amazons i mean they're amazons they're warriors mm -hmm. but yet there's still a part of you that goes i'm sorry you don't have a chance against this guy 
Like right. it's like it's almost at no point do you think they have a chance, but yet it's still the respect of. But man, they're going to go down swinging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it also helps the whole thing feel connected you know all these different like timelines and stories that have gone on kind of around the Zack Snyder universe with the Wonder Woman movie and and things like that I I feel like it makes it all feel like one central story and kind of sets up that the these metahumans they're kind of like you know gods and I think I don't know there's that's so neat about the DC heroes and so I I like that being explored here well and I think this sequence uh this sequence first introduces the idea of like i just watched rings of power last night you know and i have always said that what what zach's vision was for this five-part justice league arc was a lord of the rings style mythological take on a superhero universe it's like i'm going to give you a saga from beginning to end I'm going to tell this one central story of good versus evil, but I'm going to treat these characters like gods in mythological landscapes. And then, and then to see that sequence with Steppenwolf and the Amazons where, I mean, they're Amazons. It's literally Greek mythology, you know, going Mm -hmm. on right there fighting this. I mean, a new God, because that's what the, Kirby fourth world when we talk about dark side and Desaad and Steppenwolf they are literally the new gods in the DC universe right you know after the fall of the old gods and it's so it is it is DC as mythology being presented to me and so that sequence reminds me of something that maybe I would have seen in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films mm-hmm. and it, it, it's just something that just why you know when we talk about why I love this movie it's because I get that. I get my heroes presented like gods and mortals, which is, like you said, it's something, it's what makes the DC universe different than the Marvel universe. They are right. supposed to be different. Their characters were built differently so mm-hmm. they could tell different kinds of stories. And for me, this is what DC has been. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, like you get a lot of that in the Shazam movie too. Oh, um, yeah, yes, yes, very much so. And and that in the Shazam movie, you get to play with the gods. I'm looking forward to Fury of the Gods because it looks like they're going to lean into that more. Yeah. And, and and that's kind of a way of saying, well, because of him being a kid, you know, you get to have that mythological feel while having a little bit more, quote, fun with it. I agree. Be- yeah. Be- because the, that that's the kid doing it. But this is the Justice League, you sure. know. <laughs> You literally have a sun god, a demigod. Like you, you literally have yeah. people who represent the the Greek pantheons. Like there, there's Apollo, there's Hades, there's you know Hera. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it. You know, Aquaman literally will end up having Poseidon's trident. You know, it it they are meant to be the Greek gods. It's how they were structured. So yeah. to see them played that way is just you know it's what gets my juices flowing. Yeah, I agree. It, it it's my favorite version of them, and I think it leading into that like fun aspect of it a little bit more. Although, it, like you said, it's serious, but it's still fun and building out the world the way they do in this movie, where it's like, okay, this stuff has been in the works for a long time. You know, Wonder Woman's been around for a long time, um, and like you said, there's a sun god and all that. It's just 
cool. And like, I think all the sort of Indiana Jones type scenes of this movie where, you know, Diana is, is discovering all these secrets that plays really, really well to me too. You get a little bit of that in Aquaman as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed all that about this movie. Yeah, that, that leads into a fun story when I talked about things that I knew about long before anybody else did. Uh, oh. That mural of Darkseid that Diana looks at, mm -hmm. I had that for a year on my phone before that became public knowledge. Nice. <laughs> I just, it was just like, I have Darkseid on my phone. I have Darkseid <laughs> on my phone. So, <laughs> it was so no i love that sequence because it leads into another scene that i love i have a criticism about the scene that i would you know that i would share it's it's not like i love this movie unfailingly like there's still things that i point to and go i wish that was different yeah but the history sure. lesson that all these dc movies tend to have mm -hmm. but once but once again that when i talk about the myth the mythology and you know the epicness i mean that feels like the prologue scene from the fellowship of the ring of you know all the armies the dwarves the elves the men all fighting sauron you know and i like how it looks like a moving painting almost i, yes. I don't know I think that's cool but but once but but it's same thing you've got the amazons you've got the atlanteans you've got men mm -hmm. you literally have greek gods in, yep. in, in this fight and you know fighting you know Uxus. Because, you know, it's dark side before he becomes dark side. Right. And, uh, and the anti-life equation. And, and, and it's just this huge, massive battle. There's a freaking Green Lantern. Yeah, <laughs> I know. The... That was so exciting. <laughs> I mean, he gets his hand chopped off and the ring zips away. <laughs> you know, it's just like, as a DC fan, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like pig in mud. And, and but, but once again, it gives you that grand epic quality junkie score you know that 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 feat that hero anthem he calls it called the crew at war power which was actually the first track of the score that was released as a single before the entire score was released you know it just it just swells and it feels like we're like at a at a sporting event you know that we're all like the olympics going yes and 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 so that's kind of like that big sequence my only criticism is I didn't need Gal Gadot's narration over it. Just show me the battle. I don't need the narration. Just show me the cool stuff. And it was, it was really, you know, once again, it just adds to that sense of this epic world that has this history that were that, you know, our justice league characters are just now being introduced to this world that has, it's been there the entire time. You just didn't know it. Yeah. On, on that note, do we want to talk about, um, you know, there is some alternative future stuff going on in this movie, right? That yes. was alluded to heavily in, in BBS. And I remember being very frustrated when BBS came out and people really hated that quick flash scene we got. They didn't like the nightmare Batman stuff. And I kept thinking, wait, like, wait, it's going to be explained and it's going to be a big payoff. And you know, without this version of Zack Snyder's Justice League, we wouldn't get to see that. But I'm kind of glad that we we finally did. In this, yes, movie. because the studio didn't want any of that in yeah. this movie, which is why that's when we talked about like five minutes. Like the only new five minutes in this movie was basically the nightmare stuff, uh, it, because that was the one thing he wasn't allowed to shoot in oh. 2016 now you do get that reference 
I, I do like that scene in the Batcave when Bruce refers back to the Flash scene from BVS. He's like, right. Barry Allen was right here, you know, and, you know, and the whole Lois Lane is the key because mm-hmm. you get you get the nightmare sequence at the end of the movie and then it was storyboarded, but they you, you can tell it's completely CGI created. But Cyborg has his nightmare right before they resurrect Superman. It's basically like the Kryptonian ship is like warning him, don't do this. Bad juju's going to happen if you bring him back. Yep. And and so, yeah. And so along with this epicness, you do get this idea of of alternate realities, alternate mm-hmm. timelines, you know, so you get so you get this sort of sci fi ness of the story is supposed to continue where what we did put us on a path that's going to screw us over. Right. And, and just like what happened at the end of this movie where Barry had to turn back time to stop the unity, the ultimate plot is about having to turn back time or correct time to stop this nightmare future from happening. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people who don't like that nightmare stuff at the end, uh, tacked on at the end of this movie, because it teases something that right now we're not going to get more of. Yeah. But there was a well, part I like of it me, still. <laughs> I like it still. And part of me likes to appreciate Zack Snyder going, oh, okay, you had the balls to go, oh, no, I want to, I basically want to stick my middle finger out to the studio by going, I want to tack a scene on at the end that's going to let people know there's supposed to be more. Yeah. And, and there's a part of me, there's the vindictive part of me that goes, <laughs> good on you. <laughs> raise, raise my glass to you for doing that. Yeah, and I, 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 it's too bad the studio doesn't want that because I would love to see that. I know, but what a great scene because you know Affleck came back for that scene. He put the costume back on. Um, Zach said that a big reason was that he hated the fact that we were never going to see an interaction between this version of Batman and this version of Joker. You know, Jared Leto's Joker from Suicide Squad, and mm-hmm. so he, 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 I mean, the scene Zach wrote it. And Zach shot. Zach was the DP for that scene. He wrote the lines for that scene. Oh. He shot it in his driveway, and oh, wow. and so uh, that and the Martian Manhunter scene uh, were shot in his driveway. Interesting. You know, and uh, and I so, love Martian Manhunter. <laughs> I know, and I got to interview oh, Harry Lennox, and it was so great. Oh, it that's was awesome. Oh my god. It's on the internet, people. You can find it over at Justice Con YouTube <laughs> channel. An hour-long interview with me, like geeking out with Harry Lennox. That's but great. but but just but that scene, and he used the dream lens, which he ended up using on Army of the Dead. And so there's just that interaction between this Batman and this Joker. I mean, that dialogue between the two of them, which fun fact. Ben Affleck and Jared Leto aren't acting to each other. They shot on separate days. So that's oh, interesting. Cu- so that's cut from two different days of them, of mm-hmm. them, of them uh, reacting to different people. So interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I love, I love the nightmare stuff I, because also because I'm so plugged in, I know what that nightmare story was supposed to lead to. So kind of like you, I want to see that happen. Yeah. 
Ah, what could have been? <laughs> I know what could have been. But uh, fun fact also about the uh, like like between that, you know, the Superman who shows up at the end of the nightmare scene uh-huh. is a reuse shot from BVS. Oh, it's it, it's when he lands in Nairobi, uh, when that warlord has taken oh, Lois yeah. hostage. It's that shot, and Got then. It. And then uh, in the nightmare that Cyborg has, you know, all of that was completely new, like because it's all CG. If you if you look at it, it's all it's wow. all CGI. They built that nightmare sequence as part of the, you know, 2020, 2021 post-production process. And there's that scene because what people I don't I think enough people realize that, well, like when we talk about Lois is the key. And Joker says, you know, you let her die. You know, the reason the nightmare happens is because Darkseid kills Lois Lane. Right. And 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 that and that makes Superman succumb to the anti-life equation, which strips you of your free will. There's that sequence in the nightmare that Cyborg has that's like it's it's smoky and there's fire and Darkseid walks up behind uh, behind superman and if you look superman's holding us a, a burned skeleton in his arms and that's supposed to be mm-hmm. that's lois lane like Thanks. she was being she was being held in the bat cave for to protect her yeah and dark side boom tubes into the bat cave and omega beams her yeah. and so that's what that scene's supposed to be but once again, Henry Cavill wasn't available for, you know, any kind of reshoots. That's an unused take from the end of Man of Steel. The, the the famous like Zod snap neck scene where he like falls to his knees and screams after he kills Zod. That's an mm-hmm. unused take that they inserted in there to get that performance for the nightmare. Wow. Learning so many things today. Yes. The other cool thing is, is that, um, you know, he shot that, you know, I think a lot of people know he shot that entire movie in the red and blue suit, but because, because the studio wouldn't let Zach do the black suit because, you know, because, because they had this simple, they wanted to be red and blue because that's Superman, even though it's like, but if you've read the Dan Jurgens death and return of Superman, he comes back in a black and silver suit. Like that's the. That's the thing. It's such a strange thing to be upset about. I don't know. Hmm. Well, they've the the problem is so many people said there was just too much of the black suit means evil Superman. It's like, oh, okay. Like, no, that's not what that means at all. No evil Superman has ever been in a black suit. Like the black suit is supposed to be for his return. But what Zach did was he planned ahead, and they made the Justice League Superman suit out of a material that would shine and reflect a certain way. He was planning ahead for a director's cut where they could go in and color time it and turn it into the black and silver suit. Mm. So at no point in this movie where you see him in a black and silver suit, was there actually a black and silver suit? That's all post-production turning the red and blue suit into a black and silver suit. Wow. That's a cool detail. I know way too much. Very much about his vision. (laughs) Well, and when you know the studio is actively working against you, it was how how can I sneak behind their back and still do what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that must have been a lot of frustrating negotiations between them. <laughs> oh, to say very, the least. To say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what are have you know? You brought up the nightmare scene. Is there is there another like favorite scene of yours you'd like to talk about? 
I think we covered a lot of them, to be honest. <laughs> but I, you know, again, really enjoy this film and really enjoyed a lot of, you know, anything we got to see with The Flash and with uh, Cyborg in particular are probably my most favorite scenes just because we haven't gotten a lot of them on screen. No, yeah, absolutely. And it's always kind of fun. You, I, I didn't mention this when it was earlier, but it also, I, I like how if you watch this version of the movie, it makes other DC media make more sense. You know, I think about the, I, I, spoiler alert for the season finale of Peacemaker season one. I mean, it's been a, it's been almost a year now, but the, the interaction that Aquaman and the Flash have as the joke at the end of the finale of season one of Peacemaker really only makes sense if you've seen this version of Justice League to see the relationship that the Flash and Aquaman have in this movie mm -hmm. sets up their interaction at the end of Peacemaker to That's me. Right. Yeah. So um, I will also say this, and I want to thank you, Lisa, for the opportunity to talk about this movie because this finally lit a fire under my butt to finally <laughs> watch this movie using my 4K discs. Nice. Very cool. This... How did it look? Freaking gorgeous. To the <laughs> point that I people had told me how superior watching this movie on the 4K disc was to streaming it on HBO Max. Like, I, I heard that over and over again. Like, oh my God. It is so much better looking on the 4K disc than it is on the HBO Max streaming platform. And I watched it yesterday. I broke it up into two chunks because, you know, the movie has an intermission if you want. Like it, 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 it's yeah. literally even it's even literally where the disc change happens like that. If you saw this in theaters, that's where the intermission happens because Junkie XL even wrote 10 minutes of intermission music. And oh, cool. So if you ever see if it ever gets a theatrical release beyond the few charity screenings that happened at the the break happens between part four and part five, like that's intermission for this movie. And so I watched it on my discs last night. And up to this point, I'll be honest, I had always preferred the justice is gray version, the black and white version, hmm. uh, because. When I streamed it on HBO Max, there were some effects, there were some shots that just didn't quite look as polished as mm. I've come to expect from a Zack Snyder movie. And then I go, but, but when you watch the black and white version, like the black and white hid that. Like it, it, like it, 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 it blended better. It didn't stand mm. out. So I spent a lot of time saying justice is gray was my preferred version. I know it's Zach's preferred version for his personal reasons of he lived the movie in black and white for so long. And all the shots he released over the release of Snyder cut period were in black and white because it hid the fact that it wasn't finished. Okay. Uh, wink, wink, hint, hint. And I, but then when I watched the 4k disc, Everything looked polished. Everything looked mm. gorgeous. Everything oh, looked finished. Nice. I specifically watched for the shots that I have traditionally complained about in the color version. And it 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 just it it worked on the 4K version. So it was it was really weird. And I've heard that now that's now that this past July has been released digitally, um, I've heard that the digital version isn't as compressed 
and that if you watch it on iTunes or Voodoo or or, or on those, it still looks better than watching it on HBO Max. So wow. I, I found that interesting. So much so that I, to this day, had always said that BVS was still my favorite of the three Zack Snyder movies. Mm-hmm. Just because Larry Fong's uh, cinematography, like I like the grit, I like the grain, I like the, I like the way BVS looks. It looks mm-hmm. a little bit more filmy to me. It, that's not a word. I'm just making it up. And <laughs> okay, be, but because Justice League, Zack Snyder's Justice League is so much a different tone. It's a different yeah. kind of movie. It's not trying to be the political thriller. It's trying to be the epic Lord of the Rings style, like, you know, adventure movie. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that because of the Lord of the Rings mythological version and how much of the DC universe gets brought into this one movie. And then watching the 4K disc version where it takes away some of the VFX cinematography issues that I had. Uh-huh. I'm 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 flip flopping on whether like literally it might just be one of those cases where which one's your favorite mm, depends on the day. Yeah. Like I, I'm not as solid on BVS anymore because the 4K disc really does make it a better presentation. Huh. Okay. I'll have to check that out then because I have I think I I can watch 4K now because we have a PS5. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I believe it plays 4K. I'll have it to does play 4K. Yeah. Okay, does. great. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. He's been using it to play, you know, games, not to watch stuff. So we'll have to purchase that next. But that's really cool to know. Yeah. So it's it's just it it, it was I just I thank you so much for finally like, like I said lighting a fire under my butt because like you said I oh, love this sure. movie but finding four hours but finding four hours to watch a movie it's kind of hard. It's not difficult. It is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I still haven't watched the new Elvis movie because that's three hours. So I need to find time to do that maybe today or tomorrow. Um, well, I guess this brings me to my last couple of questions for you then. If Go that's ahead. cool. Okay. Oh, it's of course. Cool. <laughs> You're waiting. For <laughs> You're like, okay, how much more is Scott going to talk about this movie? Because I know. No, he no, can. I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't <laughs> wrapping you up too quick. No, we need to wrap this up. I mean, I'm, we're trying <laughs> to be respectable of people's time. Seriously. No, no, you're good. You're good. Well, I, I do want to ask you those last two questions then. So, number one, if you had to summarize what we've been talking about here today, why have you seen this movie? Maybe I won't say so many times because it is four hours. <laughs> no, no, but it's ridiculous how many times I back? watched it back in March of 2021. It was insane. Oh, really? how many t- oh yeah, oh yeah. I was watching it like almost every day, almost like every day or every other day. I was like, I was going to pump those numbers up. <laughs> like it was. Nice. <laughs> well, you believed in it, and and so I guess uh, that's probably plays into what you're going to say here. Why did you do that? I have never had such a freaking emotional investment in a movie. I mean, it, I mean, you, you, when you spend four years literally campaigning for a movie to be released, like when, when, when you're like, shut, I have never experienced a literal version of shut up and take my money. (laughs) Yeah. That's a pretty good way to put it. And I'm glad to have you on and talk to you. You know, I've had a couple um, Zack Snyder fans the last couple weeks and I think it, it's helpful to talk to people like you that are just so positive about it and come from such a good place too you know 
Right. And, and I think that's it. It's like I, I, I got so invested. The joke we always say is maybe the Snyder Cut was the friends we made along the way. You know? <laughs> yeah, because it's not the journey. It's not the destination. It's the journey. It really, because I got to, I, I have got to be honest. The amount of YouTubing I do now because of making friends with people like Stephen Colbert and Dave Pena, the film junkie, and, you know, uh, and then, you know, Wonder Meg and all, all these people never would have happened if it hadn't been for hashtag release a Snyder cut. Interesting. Like, wow. I so yeah, you've got like a different background or a different, I mean, this is like a, I think a unique episode because of, of, of this film. I mean, I, I have, I have made like, these are people like I just DM to shoot the shit with like that's I mean the, like we we are we know each other's lives like we need to see each other in person at this point because all we want to do now is eat a pizza and drink a beer because it's so it, cool but it, it's because of our shared love and our devotion I have become such a well-informed advocate for suicide prevention and and participate in my local chapter of AFSP the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention because of the mission behind why this movie needed to happen in the first place. And, and and then just to devote so much time and energy and to have such weird specific knowledge about the making of this movie. It's, it, it, it just, it, it's why I needed to watch this movie as many times as I could. It's why I had to spend insane, unadvisable amounts of money on merchandise <laughs> for this movie was because when I said shut up and take my money, when it finally happened, it was like, okay, now I got to put my money where my mouth is and, and, and devote the time and energy that I said. It's like, I'm not a fair weather fan. I didn't do it for the fight. I did it for the yeah. Zach. I did it for the movie. And then the opportunities it opened up. I've gotten to interview Zack Snyder on multiple occasions. I've gotten, I got to be, interview Junkie XL and be called a beloved mother effer by that man i you know i've gotten to interview ray porter the voice of dark side uh so much so that he's willing to write a note to help cover when that weta statue comes in he's like don't worry i'll write your wife a note and say it's from me you know it's, it's i mean you know and i've gotten and like i said i got to interview harry lennox and i got to interview i got to interview the uh production design and vfx teams like dj uh dj jajahara and brian Hiroda and patrick Tomopoulos, like I have gotten to meet people in so many different aspects and spheres of that surround this movie. And it's just made me have connections and friendships that, like I said, the Snyder cut was the friends we made along the way. We just happened to get a really awesome movie out of it at the end. (laughs) Very true. Well, I love that. Um, I think that even, I mean, unless do you have a, a, an elevator pitch too, that, that you would give? I just said, I like, I'd like I've said before, this is Lord of the Rings meets the DC universe. I like, agree. I really like that pitch. Um, that's how I felt watching it when people complained it was too long or there's too much. I'm like, but if you're into that, if that's what you want, that's what this movie gives, you know? And I remember thinking Lord of the Rings movies were a little too long. And yet I've seen that trilogy more times than I've seen other trilogies. <laughs> and I, and <laughs> so when I watch like, it, I insist on watching the extended edition of them. There you go. <laughs> There you go. I mean, there's something for everybody in this 
world that we live in where we've shifted from just standard movies to content. <laughs> yes. And and I think there's so many different projects and so much. We're so spoiled these days. So if this is what you're into, like this is a really good, it's exactly as you described it, like Lord of the Rings meets DC. So I, I agree. And I'm so glad that you took the time out. Thank you for reaching out to me to talk about this. This was very exciting. I feel like so many cool facts that I learned about this movie just from talking to you, which is not surprising. I feel like I always learn a lot from talking to you. It could be because you're a teacher, but um, <laughs> uh, appreciate having you on, Scott. Where, where can people find you? Well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can find my podcast, the DC Squadcast, wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, we're on Vero, Facebook, YouTube. You can find the entire network of shows at squadcastmedia.com. And like I said, uh, Sunday nights, 9 p.m. Central, if you go over to the Film Junkie YouTube channel, uh, join us every week as we talk episode through episode in production order of Batman the Animated Series. I may do that tonight, although... When this comes out, it may not be a Sunday, but I may do that tonight. <laughs> but thank you again, Scott. I look forward to recording with you again soon. Uh, thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure as always. Mm -hmm.